time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you thrive and grow no matter what life throws your way. You may be watching by audio, by video on YouTube, or you may be listening by podcast. But either way, I'm here to give you some information. And right now, we're in the middle of a series about how to have optimal health, how to build a thriving body. Now, let me go back to that optimal health thing. I'm really not talking about being like the best physical specimen in the whole world. I'm talking about being in the best shape and the best physical specimen based on where you are in life, based on your genetics, based on your body type, and based on your lifestyle. Can we make some improvements there? This is not about stripping every bit of fun out of your life. It's not about being a drag. It's about finding some ways of bringing your life to a higher point. And it's for one simple reason. A thriving life depends on a thriving body to carry you through that life. And so we're here to talk about that. We've talked already about food a couple of times. We've talked about exercise as a way of building up the body. And today we're going to talk about almost the opposite of those two pieces. And that's the rest mechanism, what we all like to call sleep. Now, one of the things I've noticed about sleep is it's probably the one area where people like to brag the most about how poorly they take care of themselves. Think about how many times you hear people saying, oh man, I, you know, I had to work all night last night. I pulled an all-nighter last night, or I was playing the video games until late at night and didn't get enough sleep, or you know, we drove all night. And, and I hear these in my own life. I hear these with people around me, and I recognize that part of what we're bragging about you know, in that kind of offhanded way is the fact that we are robbing ourselves of rest. Remember back to college when everybody would brag about those all-nighters? And I realized in my own life that that wasn't the way for me to function. I learned early on that if I pulled an all-nighter, I got to pay for about the next three days about how draggy I was. And I watched a roommate do the same thing, and and even worse, because that sometimes becomes a habit for people. And so I watched my friends struggle with the habit of dealing with sleep. Unfortunately, it doesn't go away in today's always-on world. You can always be watching the news. You can always be plugged in. You can always be checking your email. You can always be surfing the web, all to the detriment of your body. And I mean detriment. So why do we need sleep? You know, for a long time, people have tried to figure out ways of tricking that. You may have heard the stories about Thomas Edison and his sleep patterns where he didn't have to sleep that much. He would sleep in a little bit and then he'd get up and work and sleep some more. The thing was, he did that round the clock. And probably it's part of his kind of innate nature that he could do with a little less sleep. But the question is, can we all do that kind of thing? Ariana Huffington, who created the Huffington Post, and then along the way discovered that she wasn't living a thriving life, recognized that one of the biggest pieces, one of the dimensions that we've missed in life is taking care of our rest needs, our sleep needs. And She is so right. I recognize in my own life that for so long I was trying to burn the candle at both ends. There have been many times when I was doing so many things that 
I just couldn't even keep up with it. I remember back in grad school, there I was working on a, a, a my graduate school program. I was also in the research and training part of that. And I worked three part-time jobs in order to kind of make sure that we were doing what we needed to. And so I had an office at school and I had an office where I taught at school and I had an office in my training place and I had an office in three other locations. I had offices all around the city. And I remember I was constantly on the go and getting too little sleep. I remember one time I walked out of the building and I did not even know where to go. I, it stopped me short and I had to go to my planner back then on paper and go figure out what office I needed to be in. That was one of those moments when I realized that I was trying to do too much and the only thing that was really getting uh, kind of short shrifted was my body and I realized I had to be a little more intentional about my sleep. I haven't done it perfectly over the years, but more and more, I focus on the fact that I need a certain amount of rest, and you likely do too. Why is that? Well, I would say it's a reset and recharge function. One piece is the brain reset. What we happen to know is that when you're sleeping, your brain is taking all the information that's come into your system, come into your thought patterns, come into your life, and it's trying to put it back into some organized pattern. It's trying to take all the experiences of the day and, and figure out how they all fit together. And so that's when your neuronal pathways really are getting set. It's with sleep. And so if you've ever been the person who studied and studied and studied and you just could not hold on to it, you were staying up all night studying and you couldn't figure out why it wouldn't come together, part of it was because it didn't have a chance to reset. It didn't have a, a chance to solidify. So part of the function of sleep, as we now know, is to get all of that solidified. You wonder about those weird dreams? Well, sometimes those dreams may be your subconscious telling you something, maybe a message from somewhere else. But a lot of times it's just your brain trying to process all that information and, and, and carve out what's not needed and solidify what it does need. And when we don't do that brain reset we have a hard time with our memory. Not only that, it affects our emotional state because our brain really is one big chemistry lab. And so if the chemicals in there aren't right, then we're thrown off and, and so our emotional states are thrown off. And when that happens, we don't have a chance to get them where they need to be so that we feel stable in our emotional state. It also just gives us a basic restoration of our brain. Our brain gets to rest a little bit and restore so it's ready for the next day. That's kind of that brain reset and restoration. Also, something happens in our body when we sleep. When we're sleeping, we're recharging our body. So think of it as a brain reset and a body recharge. And that restoration is going on throughout your system. There are some very important hormonal cycles that do not happen except for when you're sleeping. And so the hormones in your body that are all about uh, memory and uh, sexual desire and um, your virility, you know, for men at testosterone and those other pieces and, uh, and for your functions, your endocrine functions and all of those other pieces, they have to have a chance to go through the cycles of our hormones. And the only place that that happens for some of those cycles, or at least the completion of the cycle, is when you are asleep. So if you cut that off, you recognize that part of what you're doing is constantly changing the hormonal structure of your body, the hormonal cycle of your body. You're cutting off something that needs to happen. And so you're left with part of a cycle, but not a completed cycle. Not only that, but you're actually recharging your muscles and your organs. You're giving them a chance to restore themselves, to replenish their supplies, to get ready for the next day.
So if you're not resting, they're constantly at a stress. And when that happens, we get into a bit of a problem, which we'll talk about in just a minute. The other thing that happens in your body is healing. Every day you're going through the stresses of life and parts of your body are breaking down. Sometimes we have physical injuries. Sometimes they are internal small little rips and tears. And sometimes it's just the body's replacement of, of cells that are dying and being replaced, a normal function of life. But it happens a lot when we're sleeping because of those hormonal levels and because of the fact that we're no longer doing that wear and tear. So our body desperately needs that sleep. Now, you probably know what happens when there's a lack of sleep. A lack of sleep can lead to a number of things, including a lack of focus. If you've ever just been able, not been able to, to get that focus going, if you really felt fuzzy, one of the things you might think back on is, did you get enough rest? Was it restful rest? <laughs> were you really sleeping or were you in a disturbed state? And we're going to talk about some ways that happens in a few minutes, but that fuzziness is often about a lack of sleep. As we talked about for the past couple of weeks, it can also be about the food intake. But if you're looking and going, you know, my diet was pretty good. I really was on target with my diet. The next place to look is, did I get enough rest? And if not, that may be where that fuzziness is coming from, that lack of clear-headedness. Also, there's an inability when we are lacking in sleep of dealing and processing our emotions and thoughts. Remember that your thoughts are what are creating your emotions. And when you're tired, you have less energy to recognize that that thought that's racing through your head really is just that thought. You get caught up in the reality of that thought. And the less resources we have, the less energy we have to recognize that, the more likely we are to have a thought attack, to get stuck in that thought, to have it wrap around us, along with all the emotions that come with that. And so out it kind of processes because we don't have a chance to allow it to healthily process. That leads to blunted emotions where you may just not have the kind of emotions, you know, may, may not be feeling joy or happiness or contentment when you think you ought to, or it might feel elevated. And usually the blunted ones are kind of the higher emotions, the ones we want to feel, and the elevated ones, the ones we don't want to have as much in our life of anger and resentment and jealousy and all those pieces. They're elevated when we're sleeping. So here we have a blunting of our joy, contentment, happiness, and an elevation of our anger, resentment, and jealousy. Do we notice how that doesn't get us quite where we want to be in a thriving life? All because of the sleep pattern or lack of sleep pattern, not enough sleep that's coming into our system. Another one that is tied into a lack of sleep is weight gain. We happen to know that part of what's necessary in that hormonal piece is, is what helps us manage our weight. Not only that, but when we are sleeping, we're not eating. We're not putting in extra calories. So it's a, a matter of our body realizing it doesn't have to store, right? Because it's not coming in and it realizes how it needs to process it. So a lot of times we see a lot of weight gain issues with people who aren't getting an, enough sleep. In fact, it's a contributing issue in diabetes. We know that the lack of sleep elevates our chances for diabetes and many other illnesses, and that can lead to the weight gain issues. Also, there's a heart and circulation impact. We happen to think that while you're sleeping, your blood vessels get to return to a normal pattern. So they get to have a little rest, and that helps our heart to keep pumping and us not to have things like strokes and heart attacks. And so when we are lacking in sleep, the inflammation in our body goes up. 
our body begins to stress more, the blood vessels don't have enough chance to recover, and we set ourselves up for some some issues uh, around our heart and circulatory system, and there's a related piece of cognitive decline. Now, we're not real clear about why that happens. It may just be that the brain needs to rest, or it may be that uh, we don't get the blood uh, flow that we need to to our brain, or it may be that we have a sugar issue that comes because of a lack of sleep, but all of that begins to have a, a, a an effect on our cognitive abilities as we age. So one way to hold on to your cognitive abilities, at least do what you can and watch that sleep. Okay, so what happens when it becomes a chronic issue? I'm not talking about if you just, for a couple of weeks, don't get the rest you need, or maybe you know, you're a new parent and you can't figure out how to sleep with that little baby. Those are short-term issues. What happens, though, is the chronic pieces. Sometimes I've talked to people who have shift issues. You know, maybe they work late night shifts and they feel like they can't quite get to sleep because they're doing the daytime sleeping. And they ask me about the long-term impact. And what I tell them is, honestly, they're taking some time off. They're borrowing the, the time from the end of their life right now. And that's not a real good proposition for most people, but that's part of what happens when we throw off our body and our sleep pattern for a long time. You might be awake longer but you're pulling it right off the end of your lifetime and, and sticking it into the day. Not a good deal in my feeling. And so part of what happens when we get into a chronic sleep deprivation, it's tied to a shorter lifespan and a higher chance of diseases, and uh, diseases across the board. If you look at all of the major diseases, diseases, there are implications on how a lack of sleep can either contribute to or elevate the risk of those diseases. Not a really good proposition. So how much sleep do you need? Well, studies vary, but the old rule of eight hours seems to be about right. What we've discovered in research is that about six to nine hours is kind of the optimal range. So if we're doing a bell curve, six to nine hours would cover the majority of people. That does mean that there are some who need more and some who need less. And if you remember the bell curve theory, if you really want to get into that big span of people, the most people, the majority of people, seven to eight hours is what they need. So six to nine as kind of the majority of everyone. And then the big majority of those, seven to eight hours. So think about that seven to eight hours as your target. If it's not enough, you can add some to it. If it's just too much, you can back it off. I always warn people that when you start deciding you need less sleep, you need to be sure that you're doing that. Like you're waking up without an alarm consistently a little bit early. That might be an indication that your body's done resting. Also, I recommend that people watch when they're sleeping much longer than that because when you're sleeping 10, 11, 12 hours a day, that can be a, a symptom of depression or other issues in your life. So you wanna make sure that you're, you're aware of why you need less sleep truly is a lack of needing sleep or you're getting too much sleep, what that's about. And, and we were aiming for that seven to eight hour range. So what are our biggest problems with sleeping? When I try to look at people who are struggling with sleep, I immediately go to about five primary issues to ask if these are contributing. Number one, is there light in the room? These days, light is around us all the time. Think about the days long ago when darkness would have been complete. No car lights, no traffic lights, no street lights, no neighborhood lights. When the sun went down, it went dark. Well, our body is designed when sleep, when dark is there to go into a sleep mode. When the sun comes up, it's time to be up. So light is a signal to our body that it should be awake. 
And darkness is a signal to our body that it's time to sleep. Lots of us have lots of lights in our room. Several years back, we were trying to sleep in our bedroom, and, and there was so much light around. And I, my, I have an office right off of our bedroom with a big open door between, and I realized that my printer lights were on and my modem lights were on, and it was just creating a little glow over there. And so I've begun to tape over all the lights, and we have a light darkener on uh, our window to try to cut down on all the light we can. That doesn't mean it's pitch black. We have one room in our house in the basement that has no windows in it, And when people come, they find that they sleep completely because there is no light in there. And they often come up saying, wow, I haven't rested that well in a long time. I know the secret. We cut off all light in that room, and so they're not getting any stimulation. There's nothing that's telling them that it's time to be up. So light is the number one primary thing you want to make sure of. Number two, stimulants. Do you have stimulants in your system? The primary one being caffeine. We are in a caffeine world, whether it's tea or coffee or colas or power drinks or, you know, all of those special drinks that are there to charge you up, all caffeine. And caffeine as a stimulant often keeps our body going. It'll wake you up in the morning, but it'll keep you awake in the evening. And so sometimes we have to watch whether that caffeine is in our system, whether we have a stimulant. What about the opposite, though? Turns out that alcohol also disrupts your sleep. I've had a lot of people say, oh, I have a glass of wine before bed because, you know, the alcohol helps me kind of slow down. Well, research shows that even though the alcohol might help you go to sleep, it disrupts the sleep process. It throws off your brain. And so if you are habitually using alcohol as a way of calming down at night, recognize that your sleep may not be as restful as you think it is. You may be getting the sleep but it may not be the right rhythm of sleep in your system because of the alcohol. Another one, instead of just a stimulant like a chemical, how about stimulation? How many times are people watching the 11 o'clock news right before bedtime? Well, the 11 o'clock news, in my mind, is not first news. It's stimulation. It's trying to keep your attention. And so a lot of what's on the news everywhere is designed to help get to that fear factor within you because you'll keep watching if it makes you fearful. And so part of what we're dealing with is a a structure that tries to scare you into watching more. I don't watch news myself because I don't want to take those images in. I know what happens in our brain when that happens. Now, I do listen to the news on uh, public radio and other places, but I don't consume it through a news report. I just don't think it benefits me. Now, you can make that choice for yourself, but I know lots of people who are tied to the news for long hours right before bed. And so they're watching the latest catastrophe and the latest murders and the latest issues around the world as a way of relaxing and slowing down the pattern to go to sleep. There are other stimulations, though. If you're checking your email right before bed and you've got that crisis you've got to deal with and suddenly you have all that adrenaline coursing through your system and you lie down and your eyes are wide open, that may be why. Or maybe you're dealing with bills right before bed. So there is that fun time where you're watching the resources go out the door, and then you're going to lie down and try to relax. It's not likely to happen. So how we stimulate ourselves around that is very important to notice. And that includes video games. 
Those video games are designed to stimulate your brain and keep you moving forward. And so if you decide to wind down with a few video games, you may want to make sure they're actually relaxing video games, not war games or first person shooter games or, you know, some of those very exciting games. It's something that's more mind numbing to slow you down. And then there's one other factor. The fifth factor is no routine. So many people have forgotten that part of what our life is about is having a routine. So they don't have a set bedtime or regular bedtime. They don't have a set way of getting to bed. And they, they just kind of mope through the evening and, and arrive at a point when they say, well, I might as well go to bed. And that tends to not be the best for our system. Our system likes routines. Think about those places where, you know, you just have that routine. You go to the gym, you know exactly what you're going to do. You sit down at the office at your desk and you know exactly what to do. You sit down at a table and you know it's time to eat and then bedtime and it's a mishmash. So part of what really gets in the way is people not having a clear routine for themselves. Now, if you can jump into bed anytime and go back to go right to sleep, that's fine. But this is one of the problems. When I see these issues around sleep, I'm checking in about how much light is in your bedroom. What kind of stimulants are you taking into your system? What kind of alcohol level are you on each night? What kind of stimulation is surrounding you in that couple of hours before bedtime? And is there a routine in place? Those are the ones I first go to. So what are the interventions? Well, one of the things I recommend is no screen time. Not looking at the emails, not looking at the internet or anything else, at least an hour before bedtime. So deciding to cut down your technology an hour before bedtime, and screen time includes TV and everything else, just maybe a relaxing book or relaxing magazine or something else that's kind of a slowdown and a, and a kind of a symptom, a kind of an indication, a sign to your brain that it's time to begin the shutdown process. Another thing I recommend, oh, and by the way, that's about an hour before. Remember that a lot of new uh, technology also has a nighttime settings. I have it on my devices, both my uh, iPad and my iPhone, that it goes to a nighttime screen color, um, and that's from sundown to sunup on my settings. And what that does is it takes out the blue light of the devices. Now, there's still some questions about that, but I just use it as whatever safety margin I can, recognizing that the blue light that they're cutting out is the light that tells your brain, oh, daytime, time to be up and active. And so at least activate those nighttime settings on your phone and other devices. An hour before, I would cut them all off, but about three hours before is a good time to start cutting out that blue light so that your brain knows it's just about time to, to you know, put yourself to bed. Okay, how about no caffeine? Research shows that people can process caffeine two different ways. There are fast processors and slow processors. Slow processors might drink a cola at noon and still fill it into the evening. Fast processors are the ones that can keep drinking during the day and still not have it affect them later on. There still is an impact. No matter how you do it, putting caffeine into your system has got to break down and it's going to take some time to do it. I've got some friends that can drink espresso right before bed and it doesn't seem to affect them at all, but most people have an effect. So you probably recognize whether you're kind of the person who can drink a little bit of caffeine and fill it for a long time or someone who can drink a lot of caffeine and not feel it too many hours after that. Recognize that and adjust. So if you are a fast processor, I would recommend no caffeine past five, certainly past six. That gives you your body some time to get beyond it. If you're a slow processor, you may consider that noon is your cutoff time for caffeine. 
you get that last Coke in or, or tea. I would prefer it not to be Coke, but tea or something else at noon, and then it's out of your system by bedtime. If you're a caffeine person, just be aware that that certainly has an effect. The third intervention I would recommend is make sure that your bed is only for two, two reasons, and of the two S's, sleep or sex. That's the reason for a bed. If you're spending a lot of time lounging in bed, you're telling your body that bed is not the place for those two things. It's the place for other things. You know, if you're doing your homework or you're doing your schoolwork or you're doing your work work in bed, paying bills or whatever, you're telling your brain to associate that bed with other activities than the ones that are slowdowns. So keep it for the two S's of sex or sleep, and the bed begins to be the place where that can happen much more easily. Number four, go dark. Go dark. Make sure that you're cutting out as many light sources as you can in the room. Um, And if you can tape over those little lights that are emitting things from the wall now and our printers and all those other things, do that. Uh, A darkening shade on the window is a great thing to cut out as much light as you can. It's almost impossible to get a fully darkened room unless you have no windows or you live in a cave, but go with what you can to make sure it is as dark as you can. Once you've got it as dark as you can, you've done what you can on that front. The other is to go a little cooler. What we also know about sleep is when the room is a little bit cooler than normal, it signals our brain that it's kind of that time. And if you think about it, it makes sense in the long-term aspect that nights would have always been cooler, whether you have air conditioning or not. Long ago, no air conditioning. At night, it cools down. It tells the body it's time to kind of hibernate a little bit. So cool down a little bit. If you're having a hard time with sleep, just turn your, your thermostat down a couple of degrees and see if that makes a difference. And the last one is routine. Decide what your routine is going to be. I always suggest ending your day kind of thinking about the things for which you're grateful and thinking about where you are going to be tomorrow, what you're going to, how you're going to show up to life tomorrow. There's an exercise that I do with lots of people. I call it my Thrive Journal that I've provided for, for many people as a way of having a morning start and an evening recollection. That might fit into your routine, but find some ways of creating a bedtime routine so that you've, you've reflected on the day in a grateful way and you've begun to move towards a sleep pattern that works for you, part of that routine is likely to be a pretty steady time to go to bed. If you just go whenever it really is disruptive, pick a time, at least a time within a half an hour, and see if you can stick with that. My goal is for you to try something out for about seven days to see if it has an effect. If you try it one night and you go, well, that didn't work, that's not a fair setting. You've already got your routine and your habits. So try it for at least a week, maybe even a month, and decide if you can improve your sleep pattern so that your body keeps on thriving. This is Lee Balkum wishing you a thriving life. listening to the Thriveology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thriveology.com or at thriveologymagazine.com. Remember that Thriveology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.